This is Office Hours with the Practical Prop and Friends with me, Dr. Santo D. Marabella, your workplace advisor and teacher. Well, welcome back um, to Office Hours with the Practical Prof and Friends, and we're continuing our series on the impact of COVID. We talked in our first uh, mini episode about the impact on artists and entertainers uh, with Tim Carr, another friend. And then last uh, time we talked about the impact on small business because small business is such a big deal. Um, in the economy, uh, particularly in Pennsylvania, but throughout the country. And so today, um, we're going to get a little more personal. Um, And I'm really happy to have my friend, Lindsay Eshelman. And Lindsay is the founder and CEO of the Reset Group. And we're going to learn a little bit about that. But we're going to start by just welcoming her. And uh, thank you so much for, for agreeing to talk to us today. Of course, my pleasure. So, Lindsay and I met. Yeah. <laughs> so, not not all that long. I guess it's probably seven or eight years, right? Yeah, yeah, five. Yeah. I'm going to give it five. Yeah, five. And well, because so much has happened in that I time, know. but actually, uh, our histories of our families goes way back to before I was even born, and it's so cool. Because when I I saw her name and I met her in person, I'm like, hmm, and this is where? And and we made the connection. So it is so neat to reconnect, um, to have reconnected with your family, but then to uh, start our own connection, which has really been great. I love it. I love it. I think it's really cool how, you know, you with my mother had a relationship, your parents, my grandparents, and now here we are talking about a global crisis. Yeah, but we're going to talk about good things too, but this is really important because I think you have a really important and interesting perspective, and then we'll talk about some of the collabs we've done with the art projects, and uh, I, w- I want to you to share what's going on with this really new, exciting um, entrepreneurship that you have begun. It's really cool. So um, I was really sad to hear that you had contracted the COVID virus. Yeah. Um, gosh, I am so glad you're okay. and. Tell us, what. how do you think you got it? Well, there's a few possibilities. Um, I think I have it narrowed down, but I'll go through the path. Um, first and foremost, I was in Europe until March 1st. As we know, Europe uh, was a hotbed before it jumped over to the U.S. Um, and I came back from France March 1st. Uh, and to be honest, to completely clear airports, no screening, no warnings, walked through, no customs, nothing, just, you know, danced off the plane and jumped back into my life, which I split my time between Plowville, Pennsylvania and Berks County um, and New York City, where I own a business and also have a residence. So I went back to New York and the pandemonium didn't start yet, was living my life. And then we started realizing that this was going to be a little bit of a crisis And I came to my home in Pennsylvania, uh, in Plowville, and that's where I started getting sick. I think if I put the dots together through this contact tracing now that everyone is talking about and how important it is, 
I think my case stems from an outbreak from the public hotel in New York. Uh, the public hotel is actually owned by Ian Schreger. It's very posh. For those of you who don't know Ian Schreger, he was the mastermind behind Studio 54. Uh, oh, okay. Genius, hospitality genius, nightlife genius. Um, and this is his new venture in the Lower East Side. A lot of my friends work there. I came mm-hmm. to Pennsylvania, uh, started feeling a little off, but just like shook it off. And then um, the messages started coming through. Hey, did you hear such and such has it? Hey, do you hear such and such has it? And I'm like, wait, these are my friends. And um, lo and behold, I, I uh, did have it. I, I tested positive after um, you know showing all the symptoms. But I think my case stems back from the public hotel where all my friends work, and then they had they all were mandatory tested after they had a small outbreak right before New York went into shutdown. So uh, they noticed around uh, Feb. Oh, I'm sorry, March 15th to 17th, um, and this was before all venues were shut down in New York that they were having an outbreak. Tested their employees. One of their employee is a very close friend. Boom, boom, boom. Connect the dots. Yeah, yeah. What um, you said you were a little bit off. What? What? How did it start? How did you get the feeling that there was something going on? Wild, wild ride. Because um, before I experienced it, I of course was glued to the machine that is the news. And I was like, okay, flu, flu, flu flu-like symptoms, flu-like symptoms. Yes, okay, got it. I've had the flu. We've all had the flu. Let me keep an eye out for those. My symptoms were nothing like the flu. This is nothing like the flu. This is a lung disease. So my first, uh, I would say, tip-off was the absolute loss of taste and smell. Uh, Right around March 25th, I noticed that my taste buds were dead and not just like dead to to taste, but to texture. You could have fed me a gallon of paint and told me it was soup and I would have been like, all right, okay, sure. So that was the first thing to go. And I would have usually not thought anything of it, just like, okay, this is weird. But at that time, new symptoms were starting to be circulated on on news outlets, and and t- loss of taste of smell was one of them. And I'm like, hmm, strange. And I couldn't taste anything, anything. It was wild. And the loss of scent was was prominent, but also a tingling in the nose. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that's weird. And then the coughing started. And I was like, oh, this, okay, a little hack. Maybe it's allergies. I've never had allergies, but maybe now I have them. Who knows? Um, (laughs) Right right around that time, um, now we're looking in very late March, early April, um, I I started getting all the messages that my friends in New York who had worked at Public Hotel were testing positive. None of them had shown symptoms yet. And here I am, not even in New York, been, been, been in Berks County for two weeks, and I'm starting to show symptoms. So I hauled my butt right over to Tower Health. I called my doctor in New York, which was probably a mistake because in New York, the New York doctors are very hesitant on sending you for tests because at the time there was limited availability. So I was like, my doctor was not trying to send me. She was just like, go into quarantine. I was like, okay, I'm going to get a test for peace of mind. Mm -hmm. Went over to Tower Health. Um, I saw four people get rejected for a test before me. And I was like, oh, they'll never give me a test. Of course, all I had to do was say, oh, my friends have it. I'm from New York. And they were like, please come in right now. So I got the test, and uh, that was April 3rd. I waited six days for the turnaround, and it came back positive. And by the time 
I had received the positive test, I was in poor health. I'm talking oh. dismal, dismal condition. Um, I had <sighs> I had full blown pneumonia. I the coughing went from coughing to a cough I've never experienced, and that's why I say this is not like the flu. The flu where you cough, bronchitis. We've all had that. This right. cough was aggressively searching for air. It's almost a choking sound. And um, I've never experienced anything like that. I'm in, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm an elite athlete, but I um, climb a lot of mountains. I run a lot of miles. I bike, like I'm in pretty good shape. I've never experienced this before. And unfortunately, before I knew that I was positive in that, that limbo phase, uh, my mother, God bless, who is a nurse, looked at me and saw me coughing. And she said, you can't breathe, can you? And I could not, Santo, I could not breathe. So she came over and started beating me on the back, which she learned it's called percussion. It's what they do to cystic fibrosis patients in the hospital when they have mucus plugs in their lungs. And if my mom would not have done that, I swear I would have had to been rushed to the hospital. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I know. It was wild. So the test came back positive. I called my doctor in New York who was like, oh, okay. Oh, dear. Um, I was put on quite a bit of medication from steroids to albuterol inhalers and then to um, antibiotics to clear up the uh, the pneumonia, which had started to right. in. And additionally, bless my mother who risked contact with me wearing a mask, came over twice a day to do these rolling treatments on, on my lungs. Like she learned to do on cystic fibrosis patients. And I swear if she would not have done that, I, I now know why people walk into the hospital with this illness walking and then are immediately knocked out on a ventilator. Cause it, it happens fast. I felt fine. I was like, man, I'm a little off to completely gasping for air in a matter of 24 hours. It was the most wild experience. And I'm so thankful. Uh, additionally, every single person in my family went and got a test and thank God, they all came back negative. I do not know how because I had been coughing on these poor people for a week. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. They've never shown any symptoms. And that was three weeks ago. And, uh, you know, here we are. It that's, is a roller coaster. It, what everything they say on the news about, you know, I felt fine one day and the next day I was down. I felt fine the next day. It, it was until it got to that very peak of, of choking for air. One day I thought I was getting better. The next day I didn't. One day I went for a walk. The next day I didn't. And then all of a sudden your lungs are just so filled with a fluid and you don't know where it came from. It's it's why. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's that was the the experience. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Um, You're listening to Office Hours with a Practical Prof and Friends. And my friend today is Lindsay Eshelman, who is the CEO and founder of Reset Group. And she's telling us and sharing with us her experience of, unfortunately, uh, her experience of having COVID. And the great news is that she's doing okay. Um, She's doing better. So, this whole notion of testing and tracing, and we know that that's really the key in addition to social isolation and social distancing, not isolation rather, but social distancing. I keep, I keep saying to everybody, social distancing is not social isolation. You have to reach yeah. out to people. But tell us about, because I've been considering whether or not I should get dad tested, who, as you know, is older and very vulnerable. And yet <laughs> what I've heard about the test... I don't know if I want to put him through that unless I see some symptom. 
Yeah, I um, the test is very uncomfortable. <laughs> Did you have the snow nasal or the I, oral? I had the nasal. Um, I went to Tower Health, who um, I don't know if they still are. This was um, April third, but um, they were at the time were only doing the nasal test, um, which is unbelievably uncomfortable. Um, my parents, um, and my brother, my brother's wife and all the, all of their children were tested as well, because unfortunately I had baby been babysitting kids, uh, unbeknownst right. to COVID, which literally haunts me every night to thinking that I could have brought something to them. Um, but they all went to Lancaster and that was oral. It is uncomfortable. It's also an isolating experience. Like, I don't think you would be able to go in with your father. When I went, I had to call mm-hmm. from the parking lot. I had to go through screenings sitting in my car by myself. Once I got mm-hmm. passed through the screenings, um, at least at Tower Health, they were very much, um, okay, you can only bring in your cell phone, nothing. Please take your jacket off. Please take your purse off. Do you have a mask? I said, yes, I have a mask. They're like, leave your mask in the car. We give you a new one in here. So you walk in almost like a hostage and they they give you a new mask and they put you in a room. And this is the wild part. They evaluate you. That's why you have your cell phone by calling you because they don't want to go in the room because it's too risky. So they call you on your cell phone from outside the door to evaluate you and then say, we're sending the doctor and please stay still. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, am I that contagious? Am I like, it's a wild and isolating experience just to do the test. Um, So I don't think so. I think that unless your father is really showing symptoms or he has been known to be in contact with someone. I went a little bit prior to the symptoms because I had been known to be in contact with someone. I'm glad I did. I'm glad my parents went. As soon as you know that you've been in contact with someone, I don't know why you should not get a test. I know everyone's saying just assume you have it and go into isolation. I think for peace of mind and I think for um, antibody studies that are happening in the future, we should all know. So yes, those people go get the test. Do not subject your poor father to this. If I had a, oh, I couldn't imagine. It's 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 not comfortable. Right, right. Um, so you're feeling okay now, right? Yes, I am. I would say at this point, I'm. F- I would say four weeks out. Um, yes, I was tested the first week of April, but I did have symptoms before that. Yes, it got worse. Right. I got the test, but um, I'm not 100%. I'm under strict orders to not break a sweat or do anything that exasperates my lung capacity. So I've been just starting to stretch again, um, starting to not feel sore. You cough so much that you feel like the inside of your ribs are bruised. Um, but I'm I'm on the other side. Thank the Lord. I uh, you know, and and now I'm starting to connect with other people who've had it, who have similar experiences, and more importantly, I am excited to be one of the first donors at Reading Hospital for their plasma program that they just started. Um, I just got cleared. Yeah, I'm super excited to help as many people as I can. Um, I know that you know once you go on a ventilator, the chances of getting off are, are very tough. So the plasma study is important. Um, and I qualified and I have to wait, I think 10 more days and get a negative test and then they'll take my plasma. So is that part of the, um, the study that they're trying to, in, in terms of developing the, um, the antibody mm-hmm. test 
or is that more for treatment purposes? Oh, that is for treatment purposes. Um, the plasma, okay. yes, the plasma injections into patients who are critically ill. Um, apparently, to get accepted, I was un- I didn't know this because I was like, why isn't everyone who has COVID and who's recovered doing this? Um, there's a lot of qualifications, and one is that you cannot be a woman who has had a baby. Because you have produced an antibody during pregnancy that stays with you throughout your life, and you can only donate to other women who have had pregnancies. So with my blood, they can donate to, I've never been pregnant, um, donate to men, women, whoever needs it. So I'm really excited to help many people who, who need it. Wow. Wow. Well, good. We're really glad that you're feeling better, that you're coming to the other side and it, you sound great. So thankfully, uh, as you said, thank, thank goodness. Thank God. Um, you know, <sighs> I try not to get political and I really don't go need for it, to get political, go for it. <laughs> but, but I, I, I guess I, I think that this transcends politics yet you know, people who disagree with me think it doesn't, but here's here here I go. We're being given double messages. So we have folks who are protesting and they're, you know, it's about rights and it's about the economy and, and this, re- this COVID recession. And I completely get that. It is not easy. We're um, at my school is probably going to furlough temporarily, uh, you know, let go furlough. Um, 25% of our workforce, the staff, administrators, and that's really going to be hard for them and and others. So I get it. I do, do get it. We're not, you know, we're, are, there's a lot of ways that we're all going to feel this. But somebody who has just been through what you've been through, is there some kind of magical way maybe you can get it across? Because I have no luck convincing people that this is not about freedom and politics. It's about making a horrible prog- problem get less horrible and hopefully stop it. Where, where are you on this with the pro- protesting? Oh, okay. Well, first and foremost, let me say that I uh, support our uh, you know God-given American right to protest. So as much as I would support Colin Kaepernick, I will support these people um, standing there and endangering themselves and others by doing this. But I want them to understand this is not about them. That is a selfish thing to stand up there and protest, wanting to go back to something which we all want to. We've all been devastated by this in some way. Um, This is like a global equalizer, uh, you know, really bringing this a health crisis as well as an economic crisis. It's a double hit. In 2008, we just had an economic crisis. We're also having a health crisis. This is a global equalizer. but I want them to understand the severity of this and for them to think that it is not severe, you know, with these numbers that are not adding up, you know, we are seeing in the past two months, record amounts of death. And for them to compare it to a flu that is totaled over 12 months of, of right. deaths, it doesn't make sense. Um, you know, it, I, actually, um, and that's exactly right, because there was a figure of da- uh, data that said, in an eight-month flu period, there were 26,000 deaths. And in a two-month COVID period, there were 48,000 deaths. Correct. And this is the data. Exactly. And I, I just, 
I get so frustrated that people don't want to believe facts or data that it's all up for interpretation. There, some things aren't. Some things are just are what they are. They are. Don't and, get me started. I don't want to get started. <laughs> I'm not going to get started, but there's two more things that we need to to help help them understand. Um, that? You know, I am a 35 year old, relatively athletic person. I have a personal goal of going to see all seven wonders and hiking them. I've done five so far. I've been training for Machu Picchu in the Rainbow Mountains like a beat. Oh, exciting. Um, We're going to have a whole episode on that. (laughs) I'm in peak physical shape. And this virus almost sent me to the hospital for a ventilator. This is non this virus does not discriminate. I know some people are not showing symptoms and they are lucky, trust me. But for those of us who have had the symptoms, I cannot tell you enough that it has brought me to a place of desperation in my health and desperation in my spirituality. I'm def- I'm a high vibration person and this brings me to a place of low vibration. You feel just at the bottom of the barrel. So that is something okay. I need you to know that this does not discriminate. And also the only other thing I can tell them, I want to get back to work too. You want to get back to work. We all want to get back to work. I want to get back to Marshall's and shop. I want to do everything again. <laughs> right. But and we'll, we and we'll be able to. We yeah. will be able to, but we have to understand we're we're not going back. We need to understand that we can only go forward and that everything we knew before will be different or altered. And we live in a country that is adamantly against certain change and progress. Um, But we need to see this as a catalyst to move forward and not go back. So I know people want to go back to work, but let's go to work and change our ways. And, you know, that's the only other thing I could say is just we can't go back. So you fighting to go back to something, you're going back to something that doesn't exist like it used to. And that's really, really good insight. Yeah. That's what I think. Um, I get it, and it, it really makes a lot of sense. And and you're much more articulate because I'm the, <laughs> I'm at the point where I'm just so frustrated about <laughs> it. So we're talking with this is office hours with the practical prop and friends, and we're talking with my friend Lindsay Eshelman, who is the founder and CEO of Reset Group. Um, we're going to talk about that now because you're on your way back. You're doing great, and we're happy about that. So tell us about this group. You have such an awesome um, CV, as we would say, a resume of really, really exciting things over the years that you've been able to do in the different places and ways. So it looks like from what I've read about your, the organization, it looks like a perfect culmination and mix and blending of everything you've done be- already. And now you're going forward in, in this. It's exciting. Tell us about it. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. We've, uh, we started about two years ago. Um, and Reset, for those of you who don't know, Reset is short for Recitativo, which in opera is basically the moment before an aria, the moment before the story progresses. So we're an agency that works alongside brands and celebrities to give them a narrative or story to their product, their purpose. Um, we really want to tell engaging stories for people. So we found a, a very 
cool niche, so to say, where um, I have experience in CPG, product development, um, but I also have experience in entertainment. And this is a perfect hybrid of the two because we have worked alongside of quite a few celebrities who have had ideas for products and have been able to bring them to life um, for for them, uh, which has been super exciting. You know, bless all of our celebrity friends, uh, but you can't tour forever. You can't do 300 concerts a year forever. So a lot of um, a lot of really great entertainers want fashion lines or spirits, uh, you know, wine, liquor. And we're an agency that A, commercializes that for them, works with them to bring their product to life. I mean, we source it. I had... I had a, I had Skrillex, who is a client of mine, down in Mexico last year, who won some me- mezcal chopping down agave agave bushes in the Oaxacan desert. So, like, we go for it. Um, but we also had to bring those brands to life and tell their stories, do events, social media, PR. So it's a really, really cool project because we're working with entertainers, and in a way, we're telling these beautiful brand stories. It's it's really fun. That that is really exciting. So I got, so I I need to I want to dish a little bit. Oh God, here we go. I'm under so many NDAs, Santo. <laughs> I know, but here I'll make it really easy. So like, you know how people in one genre think they know something in every genre just because oh, they're famous. Yes. <laughs> so generally, generally speaking. I, do celebrities that you work with actually know what the heck they're talking about when it comes to business? Or are they, is that why you're there? That's usually why I'm here. Um, but their ideas are like their way of communicating and their ideas are just so off the wall because generally there's like never a no factor with a celebrity. I will make an example. Um, I've worked with a very, I'm talking like top three entertainer, Miss, like he has been compared to Michael Jackson. I cannot say who it is. He's from Hawaii. Right. He's, he is, <laughs> he is okay. everything. A very big, very, very, very big name. And we mm-hmm. were working on a logo and he looks at me and he's like, um, this needs to be more Rolex. And I was like, Rolex, what does that mean? Does it mean it needs to be shiny? Does it mean it needs to be expensive? So I went back and we changed it again. And then he was like, I meant it needs to be more Miami. And I was like, does he use adjectives? What is he trying to say? What does Rolex and Miami mean? They don't even make sense together. And like, it's just this way of communicating where I was like, do you mean green? Or do you mean gold? Like, can you give me a word that is not a city or a watch? <laughs> did you get it? I did get it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. See, that's what I mean. It's like I, I but I, I bet it's fun as heck, though, right? It is. The events are great. Um, that's where I really find my niche is the experiential, is bringing these brands to life, and um, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, another one of my clients is Gem and Bolt Mezcal. Which is, um, a, a, I love working with them because it's female owned and operated, which is incredibly rare in the spirits industry to find a female owned and operated brand. And like, that's where our heart is as well. It's just really. Yeah, but I noticed, and I'm really excited to, to note that your principles are women. Yes. Right? Yes. All your principles are women. That yeah, is all awesome. on our website. You go, girl. Yes, we are a multicultural transgender group. That is very important for me to continue to say that, yes. 
Absolutely. No, I, I, I like, of course, I was going to look, I'm interested in what you're doing and what you're up to. But I was looking at this site. I'm like, yes, yes. Women go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <going> global. <laughs> and, so, and a lot of the products we represent are all female owned products. So sometime we'll have to have a conversation about the pink factor. Mm, You'll have to no. tell me. Yes. Right. Because yeah, love that. just real quickly, we'll do it. But real quickly, it's what I understand is that, for example, if it's a razor for women, it's it's priced and marked much higher because it's pink or it has, you know, a little fancier design or maybe not even maybe it's just because it's, it's marketed and branded to women. As opposed to a man's razor, which is like you throw it in the garbage. Exactly. So- and even the wording, I took a master class two years ago at NYU with Melinda Gates, who I adore. And oh my God. Like she's That's awesome. she's a queen. And she was brought on to Berkeley where she had gone to college to redesign the computer science program because they had noticed that there was more women in the 80s enrolled than today. And that doesn't even make any sense. And no, it doesn't. The second she changed. Computer 101 to the words, the beauty and joy of computing, female enrollment went up 100%. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it's like the even the way the language that we speak and we market to women, it's so important. Well, it, but it makes sense because basic marketing principles say, you know, you got to tailor to your target market. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in your packaging and branding and colors and all that stuff means something. Um, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. The joy and beauty of computing. I would have signed up. I don't even understand code. (laughs) Look, this has been really wonderful. I'm so glad you're doing well. I'm so glad we had this chance to, to talk and for you to share your story. Thank you for doing that because it's going to help people. You, you are a person who's always trying to make a difference for folks. And I guarantee that this these kinds of conversations and what you're doing with with the hospital in terms of the plasma stuff. Um, good on you. I'm really, really proud of you. I'm really, really grateful that you're doing well. So thank mm-hmm. you for being with me. Thank you for having me anytime. I just, uh, I hope people can get something out of this because it is a very real illness. There is nothing, uh, you know, conspiracy theory about it. And people need to understand that this is so important that we take the time to prevent this from happening to other people. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much, Lindsay. You've been listening to Office Hours with the Practical Prof and Friends. My friend today, Lindsay Eshelman, who is the founder and CEO of the Resit Group. Thanks for listening and uh, tune in again. We'll be uh, continuing our series on the impact of COVID. Um, let us know what you might want to hear about or learn about. Uh, you can send an email to info at thepracticalprof.com. That's info at thepracticalprof.com. Let us know you're listening or let us know what um, what topic you would like to hear more about related to the COVID impact. Thanks, and we'll see you soon. This has been Office Hours with the Practical Prof and Friends, a production of Marabella Enterprises. Follow us on Twitter at Practical Prof and Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at The Practical Prof. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved.